What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Babbles Nonsense Podcast. We are going to continue the Mental Health Awareness Month in May, and we have a licensed professional counselor supervisor on the podcast today. We welcome Alicia Winkle. She is the owner and founder of Pearl Behavioral Health Sciences here in Huntsville, and you're going to learn all about therapy and her services today on the podcast. So stay tuned. We are going to continue Mental Health Awareness Month in May with a therapist here today, Alicia Winkle. She is the owner and operator at Pearl Behavioral Health Services here in town. So, Alicia, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I just really wanted to have a therapist on for a really long time. I've talked about it. I talk about relationship advice on the podcast, which I'm no one to give advice. (laughs) No one to give advice for me. But I also wanted to just put out a disclaimer in case, like, we start talking about things advice-driven that you are no way intending to give anyone listening advice. Um, This is just a conversation just to kind of shed light on therapy, to give it a more mainstream thought process. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. So obviously I want to know your backstory. Did you always think you wanted to be in therapy or not in therapy, but like be a therapist or what was your thoughts when you were growing up? Okay. So I actually wanted to be a nurse practitioner and I got in nursing school the first time I applied. Things were good until I started having panic attacks where I couldn't function. So I actually took a semester out of college and got myself under control, went back to school and I was like, I'm going to be a home ec teacher. And then I was like, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm not. (laughs) Um, I I loved my home ec teacher. (laughs) She got me into health and wellness early on. I know. Like I love mine too, but I was like, I don't know that teenagers, you know, all at once is for me. So I went back and got a degree in psychology and then decided after a year working in a boarding school, huh, I want to be a therapist. So I went back to school and got my master's. So you worked in a boarding school. Yeah. Where was that at? Because I don't think we have any boarding schools here in Huntsville. So or do we? <laughs> we don't have a boarding school. Um, we have some lockdown facilities, actually, that people really aren't aware of. But I worked at a boarding school in North Carolina. And so I did that with adolescent females. And oh, okay. Was, was like, it in the psychology realm of things? It was, absolutely. So they had, like, behavioral problems, you oh, know. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Did, and then did it just spark this interest in you? Like, hey, people really need help. I think I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Because same with me in nursing, like I did some rotations in high school with nursing career. And then I went to an assisted living and literally fell in love with the geriatric population. And silly old me thought that's what nursing was, is just (laughs) taking care of old people. And no, it's not what it was. So here we are 13 years later. Um, That's wonderful, though. We definitely need more therapists. So you chose therapy as a career kind of just on a whim. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing to me because I think a lot of people are afraid to change careers in their life. They feel like they have to be stuck with one if they chose it. And I think that's admirable that you decided to change it in the first place. Cause I know a lot, I have friends, I'm not going to shout them on the podcast that literally beat themselves up about changing their career, which I'm like, no, you just have a passion for a lot of things. And that's wonderful. Yeah. I think it's pretty normal too. Most people change majors. Well, they say everything changes every seven years, like even your taste buds, like everything. So who knows? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you decided to go into therapy, but now you have your own business. You have Pearl Behavioral Health Services. Where are your locations at here in town? So we have one in downtown Huntsville. It's off of Manning 
Drive. Okay. And that's like up from Big Spring Park. Right. Okay. And then we have one in Athens and it's right beside the hospital. So we're actually beside Huntsville Hospital and Athens Limestone Hospital. Oh, okay. That's awesome that you're that close to the hospital because mm-hmm. if you need them, they're right there. Yep. Absolutely. So why did you decide to open up your own practice versus work for another company? Right. So I worked at the mental health center and it was fantastic experience. But when I started realizing what they were getting paid for me <laughs> versus what I could be getting paid, you know, obviously money's not the only reason, but it's a factor. Yeah. And my boss at the time actually sent me a link and she was like, Hey, here's this online therapy platform. Check it out. And so I started exploring with that, started getting some contract work. And I was like, Hmm. I'm going to step out on a leap of faith and try this out and see where it goes. No. So you said you did telehealth like therapy and I see a lot of advertisement like for, um, talk space and what's the other one? There's Better a, help. Yes. I see a lot of advertisements on that. When you work for that, since you said you're a contract worker, are you te- technically like already self-employed? So you were like, I'm already doing it. Right. So why not just open up a practice? Right. Absolutely. And the online modality, you know, It's not exactly the same as face-to-face, but you can still do the video sessions and things like that. And so they help you build your caseload. So with the online modality, can you see people all over? Like, does it matter what state you're in or do you still have to be licensed in your state or how does that work in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. So unfortunately in our field, you have to be licensed, you know, state to state. However, I'm licensed in Georgia too. So I actually have some telehealth people that live in Georgia. And so I get to okay. see those as well. Well, that makes sense. I mean, like, cause nursing and nurse practitioners, same thing. You have to have a license in each state you work, unless it's a compact state. Do they have right. like compact states for y'all? They're <laughs> actually working on a counseling oh, compact. So that's super exciting. And yeah. that'll help mental health, especially like the rural areas where they don't have people. Well, and I, I just still think that since telehealth is such a big thing and we all know with COVID, like, I don't know what happened with counselors and therapists, but with COVID and with nursing, your state license apparently didn't even matter at that point. It was like, right. oh, you don't need a state license to work here. Come on, we need help. And I'm just like, hmm, if only. You would think that the world would just like integrate one license. Can I have one national <laughs> license? Right. So did that happen with y'all with COVID? Were you, did, did they allow y'all to work across state lines? So there was a lot of things lifted, like New Hampshire, for example, was like, hey, come on in. We'll honor your license. You know, please help mm-hmm. us. There were some states that did like that, but... Um, our boards are pretty strict, which, you know, that's good. They're trying to make sure that everybody has the same standards. That and makes so sense. I think we'll get there. They're working on it. So we'll get there eventually. <laughs> now, going back to your practice, just because I forgot to ask this question, because I wanted to know how you developed the name or came up with the name Pearl. Yeah. So I really have a big heart for change. And so I've always loved pearls and I really like the story behind pearls that an irritant gets in, you know, over time and a lot of work, it changes <laughs> and it gets better and it turns into something beautiful. So it really represents the change process for me. That, and obviously your clients, like you, you see that change because I've noticed in myself, like in therapy sessions, like it takes me getting mad or angry in a situation in mm-hmm. life to be like, reflective and look on it and then be like, Oh, I should have done this differently. Or in the next situation, I'm going to do it differently. So kind of like that. That is beautiful. I love that. Now uh, switching back gear, since I forgot to ask you that question with the telehealth, can you do telehealth in your, your practice now, like face-to-face therapy? 
Yes, we can. So I've been doing telehealth since 2015. And wow. then, okay. you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield even pays for that as well. So it's really convenient. Like people can do it on their lunch break, in their bathrooms, when their kids are <laughs> screaming, in their closets. You know, I've seen people pretty much anywhere. And so it's really nice if you can't actually drive. Maybe you don't have the resources to drive, your car's broken down, whatever the fact is. Or honestly, I've had a lot of people who can't leave due to anxiety. Yeah. And so that's a really great way that you can help people. And I, I think for me, because I do telehealth with my therapist, but I literally thought it was because of COVID because I started during COVID. I didn't realize that right. it went back to 2015 or even maybe further mm-hmm. back. Um, I thought it was like, if you have to go in person, you had to go. Um, but I like it because my work schedule's all over the place. And like you said, if I had an hour between patients that I could just jump on the phone without having to drive 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back, plus the hour there, that's breaking down time. Right. So I think it allows more people to get in to therapy. Yeah. So I kind of want to sh- focus a little bit on what therapy is because I think it's becoming more mainstream, but there's still people that maybe don't believe in therapy or they have this idea of what they see on TV, like you're sitting in front of a you know, a crazy haired person, like taking <laughs> notes of you judging you. That's, you know, you get that idea from a movie. Right. Yeah. So what is your idea of therapy? Like, what is it all about? What's it for? Yeah. So I try to think about this of what would actually, what I would have liked to know before I went to therapy. Because right. when I went my very first time, I was like, <laughs> what in the world is this crap? Like, so really what it is, it's a, just a safe place. It's a non-biased atmosphere, non-judgmental, nudge, non-judgmental, <laughs> non-judgmental, can't talk today. Uh, and really a place where you can sort out your problems. You know, if we talk to our friends, they're going to have an opinion. If right. we talk to our parents, our family, they're going to have an opinion. Sometimes it's really nice to have a sounding board and be able to talk through these things out loud. You know, the cognitive processing that actually helps. And it's not a place just because you're, quote, crazy. You know, it's a place for anybody. I mean, we have people coming because of divorces, because they moved, because they want a job change. You know, they're like, oh, I need a new career. Um, I don't know if I want to get divorced. How do I know that? And it's really a safe place to explore those things and to help with anxiety, depression, to get those tools and coping skills that, yes, you can read about them, but who's showing you how to use them? Right. How are you processing trauma? And so those are the types of things. So when you, when I thought about therapy for the first time, I thought talk therapy and I thought, um, well, I don't have a problem talking to anybody. So why do I need to talk to this stranger? I can just talk to my friends. I don't have to pay someone. Is is talk therapy like the basic like cognitive behavioral, if I'm saying that right? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> okay. So it's CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And so I would say that's probably, quote, mainstream, you know, therapy. But there's a lot of different evidence-based practices. So, you know, there's CBT, there's trauma-focused CBT, which I do. So that's with children and adolescents where you combine narrative therapy, where they draw, write their story, and process trauma. You know, there's a bunch of different kinds. What And I know we had talked, like, previously before this podcast, you talked about an eye rapid movement therapy session. What is that? So that's (laughs) EMDR. Okay. So it's eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So I am not trained in that, but I have therapists that are. And basically very simplified version, you can go back and process trauma. And so it's not that you forget the trauma, it's that you process the negative feelings. So when you recall that memory, you don't have those negative feelings triggering you in the moment. 
That, that makes a lot of sense. So with, you said you do have some therapists that do that in your, your practice. Yes. So how many therapists do you have in your practice altogether between the two locations? So right now we have six and an intern and then we'll actually have two more soon. I just oh, can't announce awesome. them yet. awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And do they all specialize in different things? Yeah, they usually have something like some do grief, some do trauma. I mean, overall anxiety, depression, that's usually stuff that everybody's comfortable dealing with. Mm -hmm. But usually you can go in and read about the therapist and decide, is this a good fit for me? You know, do they do relationship problems? Do they do couples counseling? And kind of hone in from there. Now, is therapy, when you you were going to get your degree, I know um, you mentioned it was a master's degree. Is it specialized or is it just one degree and then you have to kind of branch off and learn what you want to learn? So it is one degree. And then to get your license, you do two more years of supervision. Okay. So you have an LPCS, which is what I am. It's a licensed professional counselor supervisor. So you work with them for two years. Really how we get our specialties is we go to continue education and we, you know, go to more trainings to get more certificates and things like that. That makes sense. Because I know that like when I was looking for my therapist, like I was having like relationship issues and, you know, childhood trauma that I needed to work through and figure out while I was having these relationship issues within my friends and my, you know, guys I was dating and things like that. And I see that, you know, every time I look for a therapist, a lot of therapists have like a lot of like specialties like relationship and trauma and childhood trauma and I'm just like wow they know a lot (laughs) so it's very interesting because like when I went to school as a nurse practitioner obviously you get to pick your specialty Mm -hmm. like acute care ER critical care family practice you know whichever so I didn't know if you got to pick a different like specialty the only thing that's really different is their school counseling track and then like a clinical mental health track okay that makes sense and guys sorry if you're hearing some noises it is a about to storm so it's probably thunder in the background because this audio picks up everything so if that's what you're hearing that's what it is so I know that we talked about therapy being like becoming more mainstream and noticing it more do you did you notice it kind of spike a rise at some point because when I was growing up people were not talking about therapy like it just wasn't a thing or you know I, I just mentioned to you before we started this podcast I had a friend like I was in a therapy session this week and I had a friend um because I had my phone on Do Not Disturb, and I got out, and I was like, hey, I was in therapy, what's up? They were like, are you okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm just, you know, going to therapy to be a better human, you know. <laughs> just so working on myself daily. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to do. So when did you notice that spike and that rise? I would definitely say COVID. COVID. Really, really helped. Um, I think for the first time, people without anxiety, I say it joking <laughs> because I'm like, welcome, everybody. <laughs> Everyone has anxiety about something. Yes. Like, when people say they don't have anxiety, I'm like, hmm. Really? Because I, I mean, like, not everything, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's certain little things I'm like, this causes me anxiety to do. Right. And some of it's debilitating to other people where it not may not be to others. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's the first time that people really started talking about it openly and they were like, it's okay to go to therapy. Insurance companies were like, let us help you with your copay. Please go to therapy. You know, we want everybody (laughs) to be okay. And, you know, unfortunately, you know kids weren't in school so we were seeing you know abuse rates really skyrocket domestic violence you know and that was the really sad part that is sad now do you predominantly work with just children and adolescents or do you see adults as well I actually see five and up oh wow okay yeah it's really more of anxiety and then like post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that so with your, um, while you're seeing that, like, especially the adolescents, I would figure, or the children and adolescents, I'm not saying that you wouldn't have a hard time with adults as well, but everyone just like, 
focuses in on like children and like right. childhood, you know, ch- child abuse and sexual trauma and stuff like that. How do you protect your energy? Because that would be very hard to see that day in and day out. Like you're seeing this child be abused or sexually, you know, abused. Mm-hmm. How do you not go home just like feeling negative yourself? Yes. So, you know, there's going to be days like that. Unfortunately, um, it gets better. At the beginning, it's always hard, like, what, am I really sending this child back into an abusive environment? You know, and that's really, really difficult. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, what did I do? What could I have done better? Did I make a difference? I might not ever see it, but did I do the right thing? Did I report something? You know, and I really just have to stay with that. Like, I'm only one person, and... I'll probably never see that difference, but kind of what you were talking about earlier, just those moments where somebody's like, oh, I got it. I'm like, yes, that was worth (laughs) a year's of work, you know? Yeah, in that moment. And I, because we're kind of being in the same field, like I worked in the ER, so I saw a lot of mental health patients in Mm -hmm. the ER. And not even just that, just patients in general walking into work. I know my friends working, you know, because I worked in the ER, were like, how do you do that? Like you see trauma, like we would see children if there was really bad trauma and that would that got everyone the most not saying that even when adults were in trauma it didn't affect us but like you go into this mode like right you put this persona this mask on you just pull it up you put it on and then you act like this is just normal and it's almost and to me like because I work with veterans now it's I can relate it in mm-hmm. the sense of like it's almost a military ask aspect right like you you can't care yeah and the other thing is too like we actually have a gift that we can sit there with them in that moment mm-hmm. and that's some of the stuff that these kids and like even people who have been through other things remember it's like oh you're my safe person through all that and so that's oh, wow. actually really powerful do you hear from clients later on like in life do like they like write you letters or like come back by <laughs> um you know sometimes I would say from the boarding school there's some girls that's reached out and but they're amazing. You know, there's a few that are therapists now and I'm like, I bet they're a fantastic therapists. Now, when you first started, cause you said you've been doing this, I think since 2015 or yeah, before even, that. Yeah. Even before. So I've been in the field, in the mental health field since 2010. Oh, wow. Okay. So basically when I graduated nursing school, <laughs> Oh, I forget we're the same age. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, when you first started, because when I first started as either a nurse and then when I went and got my nurse practitioners, I had imposter syndrome out the wang. And for those who don't know what imposter syndrome is, like you literally just feel like you're impersonating someone. Mm -hmm. Like who is, who, who gave me a degree and let me loose? (laughs) (laughs) Who let me loose on these people? Did you feel like when you first sat down with clients, like your very first one where you were like, what am I going to say to these people? What if I ruin their life? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I think if people don't feel that way, then something is wrong. Um, And I would say, it happens still, right? There's days where I'm like, oh, who am I to be telling these people things and sitting with them in this moment? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm trained, you know, remind myself, like, all I'm doing is providing a safe place and walking them through things I was trained in. And so just reassuring ourselves, honestly, we're trained, we know what we're doing, <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> now with me though, so like for me in that instance, when, I, when I'm like literally like, oh my gosh, I don't know, I've never encountered this before. I have a doctor to go to. Right. Like I have a collaborating physician. I can just be like, hey, never seen this before. Can you please help me out? I do that on a daily. Do you do that with like a psychiatrist or are you on your own? So the really cool thing about our practice is we get to consult with other licensed professional counselors. And so if there's something where we're like, huh, can I just like run this by you? Is this what you would do? What are your thoughts on this case? We do that all the time. Got it. Now, how do you in your personal life, 
not walk around giving everyone advice because I think I'll, if I was a therapist, I'd probably be like, I know everything and this is what you should do. <laughs> you would How definitely do- not. You would turn it off. So, you know, as therapists, we don't give advice anyway. Right, right. And so I found that people are like, are you diagnosing me, diagnosing me right now? And I'm like, am I getting paid? No. <laughs> but really, I think it's, it's interesting because you kind of turn it off. Right. It's just like, that's who I am in the office and at home, I'm just me. It's that persona. Yeah. Yeah. Now, dating, I know you're married now, but when you were dating, like I asked my therapist this, I was like, so when you date guys, cause she's, she's dating now. And I was like, when you date people, I was like, do you like in your head go, well, are they this? Are they that? I know this. I know that. Are they this? Are you constantly doing that? Or was that something you did before you even became interested in psychology? I think I've always done that. (laughs) I've never trusted anybody. And if they said something, they had to prove it to me 10 times. But I will say, I think that's probably personality and field. That's why we chose it, right? Right. But it is difficult to put that away, especially when you hear the worst of the worst. Right. And I mean, with mainstream things like, and I'm not like talking to anybody or calling anyone, like when you hear like narcissist or bipolar Mm -hmm. or this, like you knowing the actual definition, the actual terms if you're dating someone and they give you like a tendency, are you like, Oh, 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 oh absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, um, I, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> so you might be a little bit more judgmental or like easier to be like red flag. Yes. I wouldn't say judgmental. Yeah, yeah. I would just say hesitant because go, I know yeah. what it can look like in a relationship and it right. can be really difficult. And I don't have the capacity to do that at work and at home. <laughs> well, they say you even, my aunt used to tell me that she gives me advice all the time. And she was like, you have to have one happy place. You can't be miserable at work and unhappy at home. True. You have to, it, it either has to be, you have to be happy at both or you have to be miserable at one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's really good. That makes that's yeah, a lot of, I agree with her hundred <laughs> percent. No, with the therapy, like trying to find a therapist, how do you, like if someone calls your office or something and they're like looking for specific things or you just meet someone like me on a podcast, um, how would you tell someone like how to find like a good fit for them in therapy? So as crazy as it sounds, you should look at their picture and see if you relate to them and then read like their bio, like on psychologytoday.com. It's a great resource. You can search by area. You can search by insurance. And that's a really good way. It's almost like you have this gut feeling when you're drawn to someone and I always say, give that therapist at least three sessions. Okay. Because the first session is going to be a million questions. It's not going to be like a normal therapy. It's going to be uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you're going to be like, oh, I overshared. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, for my case, I undershare. So <laughs> so there's that. So resistance. <laughs> <laughs> so if once they pick their therapist, and let's say they give them the three sessions, and then their three, sh- three sessions have happened, and they're like, you know, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this but it could be someone like me who is resistant to sharing. What would you say? Like if you're my therapist and I came to you and I was like, you know, Alicia, I just, I don't really feel like I'm getting much out of this or what would you tell me to do as a friend, as a client? Yeah. So I would, you know, let's say you're my client. I would explore that with you. I'd be like, so what are you looking for? You know, what have I not given you? What were you expecting? And really, depending on what you say, I'm going to adjust that. And then if we're still not a good fit, I'm going to say, let's refer you out. And really just focus in on what you really need. Because Mm -hmm. 
everybody's looking for something different. If you have expectation that you're going to come into session and I'm going to give you advice every single day, you're going to be so sad (laughs) all the time. And I think when I first started therapy, that was my mentality of it. Mm -hmm. I thought I'm going to go into this place. Someone's going to give me sound advice. It's going to be like so sound and I'm going to leave this amazing person and I'm going to know exactly what to do in every situation. And you really leave going, huh, (laughs) I have these options. What are, what is the best thing to do? And I don't think it, like I've been in therapy on and off for years. Um, recently just got back into it last year and stayed with my therapist currently now. She's probably the longest therapist I've had because I really enjoy her. I think she works well with me. Um, but like I just recently, I've been in since February of 20, uh, February of last year. Yeah. Um, and so over a little over a year and I just recently in the past few sessions just kind of basically opened up and she was even like, you're opening up more. And I was like, yeah, I realized the problem is me. Like I'm not opening up because I used to be like, well, therapy's not helping me because all I'm doing is going in and talking. Yeah. And I realized like, well, I'm not sharing like my deepest inner thoughts. So how can it help? Right. If you're not completely <laughs> vulnerable, we really can't do a lot. And how do you get completely vulnerable? Because I'm not scared to share anything, but for some reason there's this hesitancy and this block that I have when it comes to therapy. And I don't know what it is. Like it's something there that I can't feel or understand or describe. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I ever think that anyone's going to judge me because I like being in the medical field, I know about the HIPAA laws and you know, the only thing that you are required to say is like if I'm suicidal or Mm -hmm. homicidal, like, so I know that, but it's like, I can't just get there. (laughs) But it's really trust, right? Like we're 100% vulnerable. We feel completely naked. Yeah. And so it's really about tearing that wall down (laughs) and being completely uncomfortable and knowing at the end of the day, even if she breaks all the HIPAA laws and goes and tells people, (laughs) you're going to be better for it at the end. Right. And really challenging yourself and going, okay, so is this me blocking myself from not growing what is this from? Why am I not wanting to share? And honestly, even talking to her about that, like, you know, notice I'm not sharing. I don't know why. Let's talk (laughs) about that. I told her that. (laughs) Yeah. We just, so then we just started having a conversation and like, just through having just a normal conversation, like I started telling more of my backstory Mm -hmm. just through like, Hey, we're just sitting here having a conversation. Then I was like, wow, really? I felt like that was good. That was good today. (laughs) But no, it's, it is, it's a very vulnerable moment. And I just think having someone there. So I used to like call my aunt all the time and just talk to her. Like we would talk six out of seven days a week. And I'd be like, this is what's going on in my life. And this is stressing me out. And this is stressing me out. And it's funny because my aunt noticed that's my measure of like, I am growing in therapy because I call her less. And when something happens to me, I'll immediately text my therapist and I'm like, you got a session. (laughs) So, and then my aunt will be like, Hey, everything good over there. Haven't heard from you in a while. I'm like, yeah, I'm just talking to my therapist about it. Yeah. So, well, and that's good too, because I think a lot of times with our close family members, friends, spouses, you know, we dump on them when really it can cause more stress in the relationship versus just being with that person and like having quality time with them. I agree. And then something I'm trying to work on and learn from is like, especially in relationships, whether it be a fight with a friend, a fight with a significant other, not sharing that with friends and family, because even though we're trying to vent and talk about our frustrations because it's on us those friends do become biased. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And that's a very hard thing to do. It is like, so obviously I'm going to ask you this. Do you go to therapy for those t- times? Like it's like the hard times you have in your sessions as a therapist and then turning around and having to be a client. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 
I always say this, like I will never ask a client to do anything I've not either done in therapy myself or did in school because I just think it's so important for therapists to be in the client chair. And so it's really, really helpful to know what it's like to be vulnerable. Right. And now there's other things that I've been exploring mostly for the podcast, but just because I'm interested in a lot of things as I get older. So like Reiki, theta healing, um, energy work. Do you as a therapist, like being science-based and not I mean, I'm not saying you don't know about these other modalities, but would you say like, obviously it's not a replacement for therapy, but right. do you think like if someone, cause I just decided to choose to do some like energy healing work with this, um, energy worker in Nashville. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to coincide with therapy and see mm-hmm. if I can, if it can bring out some more, like for me to get to share more, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So I am a very holistic person oh, in general. Awesome. So I'm essential oils and all that. Yay. I love <laughs> so, that. I love that. I think anything where you can ground yourself and be more true to yourself, whatever helps you do that spiritually, not even necessarily relig- religiously, I think that's important to do for yourself to really spend that time, what's going on internally. And, you know, energy's a thing. You know, yeah. what are we giving off? How are we presenting to other people? And how can we make it more positive? No, I, I completely agree. And I just, I was curious, like, because I, I told my therapist that. And I was like, did I just hurt her feelings? And I was like, because <laughs> no. I'm not saying, like, I'm not getting anything from therapy. I just wanted to explore something to see if it would push me a little bit further. I don't know. Right. I was just like drawn or called to it, I mm-hmm. guess. <laughs> I also got into crystals, but then I, like, literally just leave them on my bedside. So, I don't know. They're still there. (laughs) (laughs) So why is therapy so important to you? Like not only for you, but for other people to learn about it and to maybe go to therapy. Yeah. I will go ahead and share this. Like personally, I think it saved my life, honestly. And so I really was a different person before therapy. And so I know personally what it can do. I've seen it in sessions, you know, and it's just not talked about enough. And so I'm a huge mental health advocate. Like I'll talk about it whenever, however. (laughs) And I will tell you that anytime I've ever brought it up, I've never had anybody shut me down. And I always have somebody tell me, oh yeah, my so-and-so, or I'm struggling or this. What's, What's your information? It is so crazy that we don't talk about it, but every time we talk about it, it's just flowing out of people's mouths. Right. Well, we're humans, right? Right. Like humans have feelings. We're emotional creatures. We're no two of us are alike. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book now. Um, of course I, it's, ugh, I keep forgetting the name, but it's about like body positivity and it's our book club book. And she actually is going through the stages of like how you got there mm-hmm. and how you have these thoughts about yourself and how like mental health is a huge part of it on how you think about yourself and she talks about like wouldn't it be so boring if we all looked the same we all thought the same we like there would be no problems Mm -hmm. (laughs) it would be like oh we all look we all have blonde hair blue eyes you Mm -hmm. know and um I just thought that was very interesting because it's crazy that we still judge others by the way they think look you know dress and ourselves but we all know that the human design is we're supposed to be different, yes, but I, we still judge people on being different. Yeah. I think it's a lot of societal pressure too. Right. She talks and she does talk about like, um, mental health illnesses or handicaps. She was like, we live in a world that's designed for n- quote unquote normal Absolutely. and normal looks like no handicap, no mental illness. Mm-hmm. So when you have that, you don't want to talk about it because that's not what's quote unquote normal. Right. Yeah. And she was like, but what is normal? And I was like, oh, this book is just so powerful. I wish mm-hmm. I could remember the name of it. It's sitting over there, but I don't want to go get it. <laughs> now, something I did want to kind of dive into that I think 
brings a lot of people or maybe deters them away from therapy is cost. Um, Some people don't have insurance, so therapy can be costly that way. Or some people, their insurance doesn't cover it well. Um, What are some ways if some people can't afford therapy that maybe they can help themselves at home a little bit? Do you have any resources that way or how they can maybe try to get into therapy and afford it? Yeah. So anything you can do as far as you know, researching coping skills. That's something really simple that you can do. As far as therapy, any therapist office you call, ask them about a sliding scale. A lot of people will have that. Like for instance, our intern is going to be taking clients on a reduced rate and that way we can actually help with that problem. Okay. And so while she's still learning and under supervision, she's still trained, but this is the last part of her, you know, internship. So that's one way. And then a lot of therapists will do it by income. And so they'll say, you know, if you make 40,000 or less, this is your rate, 50,000, that kind of stuff. Okay. That's, that's good. Now, do you feel like journaling is something someone can do? Is that a coping mechanism at home? Yes, absolutely. I can't can't figure out journaling. I used to love to journal when I was a kid. Like all the girls had the lot, like, you know, the little sparkly journal with the lock on it. Um, and I can do a stream of conscious thoughts, like just boom, boom, boom. I don't want to go back and read it, but I, I feel like I like guided journals. Okay. You know, so do yeah. you have any like thoughts on guided journals or is there like certain questions I could write in my journal that I could just answer every day, like daily questions or anything? So I would say I'm a huge free writing person. Okay. So, so you like free writing. I do just because usually we focus on what we think is the problem. But by the time we get done with our free writing, we realize it's something completely different. Ah. And so that's why I really like it. But I would say like for journaling, I think something that's important to write down every day is like, what am I thankful for? What are positive stuff? Something I can work on and like kind of let down your negative thoughts give yourself a time. Don't like obsess in it. And then focus at the end with something positive as well. So that's funny that you say that in that order, because I, the session that I have with this energy healer, she does tapping and it's the three part kind of like you just said. So you, you get all the, the negative stuff out. Like you, you, Mm -hmm. the he, she, they, I, I hate this. I don't like this. I feel this way. And then you turn it into like what you can fix, like Mm -hmm. into the gratitude, into the positive. Like, why do I feel this way? I feel this way because so-and-so called me a name and that's not true. That doesn't, you know, and it's this stream of conscious, but Mm -hmm. you're saying it out loud versus writing it down. And so it's fun. So now that when you just said that, like, I just literally, it was like, bing, I was like, oh my God, it's the same thing, but it's just saying it out loud versus writing it down. Yeah. That's interesting. And two is really what you just touched on was you feel that way, you need to name those feelings, right? Yeah. I'm doing all this because I'm hurt. I'm embarrassed. And that's really like an important thing to write in the journal too. And that's something I've always struggled with me personally. Like even when I started in therapy, she would, she always says, how are you feeling today? And I'm like, aggravated. And she's like, do you ever feel anything other than aggravated? I said, no, it's the only feeling I know. She was like, I don't think you're always aggravated. I said, this is the only feeling I know. <laughs> she didn't give you a feelings wheel. I'm going to send you home with one. <laughs> No, she, like, we just started talking more, and I was like, you know, I think when I felt aggravated here, I was actually sad, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it was, and the only thing that would come up, because I suppress my emotions a lot, so they come up as aggravation, something I just learned. Yeah, (laughs) but you know, it's interesting, we were never taught emotions in school, Right. right? It seems like. I have a lot of school teachers and I will actually work with them on, hey, what do you do in your classrooms? Like when you're frustrated, you don't think they're frustrated? Like, do they know feeling words? Are you talking about feelings? And really encouraging to put that in the classroom more. I'm not a parent, so I can't tell anyone how to parent, but I listen to a podcast where there's, there are two moms Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, she's a teen mom. Um, so it's like a 
reality podcast, Kel Lowry, and she said something so meaningful on one of them. She said, I sit my kids down. I don't care if they're one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old. When they're screaming, she sits them down and goes, tell me why you're screaming. And she said, of course, they can't, like, give you a full sentence. But, like, they can say, like, my knee hurts. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and she's like, okay, why does your knee, like, and then she makes them process those emotions so that they know which one's what. She's like, I don't think you're mad, you know, because if they throw something, she's like, I think you're sad or, you know. And I was like, that is amazing because we don't have anyone teach yeah. us what, what's mad, what's sad, why are you doing that? And so if maybe we all started therapy at like five years old with people doing, right. like, you know, maybe we would all be better humans by 35. <laughs> I mean, if we just had a mental health class that was in the curriculum. Right. Just no, saying for any, you know, school people that are listening. <laughs> when I even feel like bad for men, and I don't know if it's getting better now because, again, I'm not a parent, but like m- little boys when I was growing up, like, don't cry, mm-hmm. you know, so how many men are walking around like, I'm not allowed to cry. I'm not allowed to be sad. I'm not allowed to show emotion. And us women are going, you don't show any emotion. Exactly. <laughs> that is the number one thing that I hear with men coming in. I'm like, it's normal. But but they weren't shown that. It was suck it up. You know, you're right. a man. Be a man. Be a man. And it was over and over. And it's like, you basically can't feel anything. And we just got in this avoidance, especially in our generation, for sure. Yeah. And I literally, sometimes podcasts for me are therapeutic. And I don't know if it's just because you're a therapist and now it's more therapeutic. But I'm like, I think now I know why I don't share so much because I was always told not to share. Right. Like, I was just like, that's just literally like, because you're not supposed to share your emotions. You're supposed to suck it up, put it in and act like nothing is going on. And we don't talk about anything that's a secret or anything that's going on in people's lives. And if something's wrong with somebody, even mental health, we don't talk about it. Right. And that is a huge problem. Like, obviously, don't go and share everything. Like, right. I, so I'll share a story. I recently made a friend upset because um, he recently learned that I had shared with a friend, like, about an argument we had. And so I recently shared with a friend, and then somehow she had shared that, mm-hmm. which I had told her that in confidence. And mm-hmm. I didn't say anything mean, negative, bad, but then she took what I said and put it in her own terms. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that kind of made a fight between this person because it was like that game of telephone. Right. So I'm working on oversharing, you know, as well, like to maybe not confide in friends and maybe just go to therapy and mm-hmm. confide there because it's a safe space and she can't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and absolutely. then there's no fights or blowups. But that gets confusing in your brain because then you're like, now I shouldn't overshare with anyone, even my therapist. Yes. <laughs> yes. So how would you work through that? You know, it's a healthy balance. I would say if it's something that we're all going through, for example, um, we were riding down the road with my nephews one day and there was a person who was clearly having, you know, psychosis. He was talking to himself. He was having mm-hmm. hallucinations. And I just asked my nephews, do you know what's going on? And they were like, no. And I said, I want to explain it to you. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and so I took that moment to explain and like what the brain does and these people aren't bad and they're not quote crazy. They are sick. They have something wrong in their brain. And that was really important to me because my uncle has a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And, you know, growing up, I was kind of scared. And now I'm just like, now I understand it. Yeah. And the more we understand, the more we can help. Right, you know? right. And so I think it's like that kind of sharing where we can talk about stuff and maybe just not overshare our personal to where it could hurt someone else. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, and so with that, like, is that where you kind of hone in on your um, therapy? Like, is there something you're super passionate about with clients? Not saying that you're not passionate about everything, <clears throat> excuse me, but like, obviously anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. trauma. Is there one thing that you're like, if I could change this in the world, this is what it would be. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so trauma, hundred um, percent. So you were talking about more difficult to work with kids. 
I love working with kids because if I can get a kid who was sexually abused and stop that cycle from them abusing, mm-hmm. you know, because that's something that happens a good bit. Is that considered generational trauma? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, this cycle of abuse too, even domestic violence, right? So when a kid sees their mom being hurt, you know, they start to hurt other people. And so if I can get in there, all of us can get in there and save these kids and stop the abuse, like we're stopping those cycles. We're stopping tons of generational abuse. And so that's really, really important to me. No, I love that. And I just, cause I'm kind of learning about generational trauma cause it's not talked about a lot mm-hmm. where, cause in one of my sessions, um, you know, I see my mom and my grandma, like, you know, just love unconditionally to men that did not love them back. So mm-hmm. I, when I started dating people, like obviously they don't want a relationship, but I keep trying. And I'm like, with therapies help, I wouldn't have known this on my own. She was like, you do realize you're just repeating a pattern and you have the choice to stop this. Mm -hmm. This is is generational trauma. And I was like, oh, that's what this is because I wasn't abused. So you think trauma, quote unquote, you think hurt, abused, but not necessarily, it could be emotional as well. Absolutely. Yes. Like emotional abuse. That's huge. You know, and even like not giving someone love that is emotional abuse. Yes, you yeah. know if you're continuously keeping someone around and you're just shunning them all the time and push pull push pull that is emotional abuse yeah I agree and things like that can pass down because you see it right so that's how generational trauma happens is you see it as a child and you think that's what normal is absolutely because that's all you know right so if you grew up in a house and everybody's hitting each other all the time and you never go to your friend's house how would you know any different? <laughs> right, right. Um, silly question because it just popped in my mind and I just think it's funny. Can people graduate therapy? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. So, you know, we call it termination, right? But the way that I always tell people about therapy in the first session is my job is to work myself out of a job. Okay. If I'm trying to keep you long term, I am not the best fit for you <laughs> because I want you to be so good on your own that you fire me and you say, I'm good. You know, we don't use the term graduated, but that would yeah. be the the right term right. for that. Like, I'm good. I don't need you anymore. And I always say, if you need to come back, something happens, someone dies, something other, yeah. you know. Some kind of life situation. Yeah, you can always come back. But that's the way I like to frame it to people. So how would you, like, know that you are getting better? Do you start going from weekly sessions to every other week to monthly? Like, is there a step-down process? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, so usually I start people weekly or bi-weekly. And then, I mean, you can tell when people are getting better just by, you know, as evidenced by um, <laughs> You know, we do a treatment plan, right? So if we talk about we want to go from five panic attacks a week to zero and they get down to zero, obviously that's improvement, right? If we want to talk about relationships, you want to have a successful relationships or successful successful dating experience. When you start seeing things like that happen, it's definitely time to teeter off and like eventually phase out. Okay, that that makes total sense. I'm not there yet. I'm going to be with my therapist probably until I'm 80 years old. And that's okay. <laughs> What are some boundaries with a therapy? Like, I know sometimes we get in therapy um, and you're like, this person's my friend. Why can't we hang out? (laughs) Because like you're having these great conversations and they know everything about you and you feel like it's a friendship. So how, what are those boundaries and how do you like keep them there? Yes, they're so strict. Um, And you're right. I would have a lot (laughs) of really great girlfriends if I could (laughs) see my clients outside of there, you know, but that's really to keep everybody safe, especially the client It's for the client's protection. Because like you said, when we're so vulnerable with this person, do we really want them as a friend? No, because we're putting someone in a position of authority, you know, in a bad position. And then you become biased. Yeah, absolutely. And so really our 
our guidelines are really, really strict. We can't be friends on social media. You know, if I see you in public, I cannot even speak to you. If you speak to me, I can say hello, but other than that, that's it. Um, well, because everyone knows you're, let's say everyone knows you're a therapist right. and then I'm in Walmart with you and I know you're a therapist mm-hmm. and you're talking to someone. I'm like, ah, that person's in therapy with them. Absolutely. And that's kind of breaking HIPAA mm-hmm. a little bit too. I mean, it's not really, but like confidentiality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it, but it sucks because like, like you said, like yeah. I would have some really cool friends. Like I would totally be friends with my therapist. <laughs> I think, I think she's really cool, but I get that there's boundaries yeah. and stuff like that. So um, we've talked about the cost. We've talked about online models. We've talked about tips and tricks you can do at home journaling. Now, la- um, are there anything like, or any books that you love or recommend to anyone or therapists you just look up to that you're like, Hey, go check them out. Go follow this. Yes. So I had an amazing opportunity to interview Dr. Irvin Yalom. Okay. And he is a psychiatrist, really, really well known. He is just the most down to earth really great guy. He has some great books out there. You can look him up. (laughs) Highly encourage everyone to read his stuff. The thing that I respect the most about him is he's a psychiatrist, right? Mm -hmm. So you know what he asked people to call him? Irv, his first name. Yeah. And so he really like takes that therapeutic relationship and really treats it like like just rapport building. Right. There's no authority. He's not like, I'm a doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. And he was just a really great guy. You know, he's been in the field for years and years. And so to interview him was a really great experience. And for any of those that are out there that maybe not know what a psychiatrist is versus a therapist, could you explain the difference a little bit? Absolutely. So psychiatrists have been to med school and then they specialize in psychiatry so they can prescribe medications. Um, but they, some of them, back in the day, <laughs> a lot of them did psychotherapy as well. Now, not so much. It's more prescription medication. He was just an older generation. He actually still does uh, psychotherapy as well. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look him up. Now, are there any books that you just like or like that you recommend to clients that you're just like, I love this. You got to read it. (laughs) Or you're like, not really. It's just based on the person. There is one. I don't know why this one's popping in my head today, but it's called An Unquiet Mind. And I cannot remember who wrote it. It is escaping me right now. But it's actually really good. And it's a really good account of a woman who struggles with her own mental illness. That's interesting. I, I love like reading self-help books or anything yeah. on that. I don't know why. I just gravitate more towards those because I just think they can be helpful in any ways. And we we as humans need to be striving to learn and grow. Like I will never say I'm done growing or Absolutely. learning. Like I feel like that's why I'm going to be in therapy forever because I feel like things are always going to happen in your life. You're yeah. going to ha- like you're going to go through breakups, job loss, you know, death, um, just anything. You could be driving down the road and get hit by a car and it just destroy your whole life and you need to talk about it. Yeah. But think about this too. How many more coping skills do you have this year versus last year? A lot. That's true. You're right. So, but I still feel like I need someone there. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe just holding my hands. I don't know. No, I want to thank you so much for doing this podcast and continuing this journey on Mental Health Awareness Month for May. And where can everyone find you, book an appointment with you, follow you on social media, all the things. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me. This is really important. So our website is pearlbhs.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and our office number is 256-886-8529. And that will all be linked in the show notes so that they can just click on it and easily go there. Do you, do they need to call to make an appointment for like that first yes, one? Yes, they okay. call. Okay. Didn't know if it was like an online booking situation. All right. Thank you so much. Thank and until you. next time, guys, bye. Bye.